This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news, and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Good evening and welcome uh, to our a Zoom gathering of the National Press Club broadcast podcast and history and heritage teams. And welcome to all of our uh, club members and other guests who have uh, registered and logged in. It's very nice to have you all with us uh, this evening. Uh, the best reporting from war-torn Ukraine has drawn comparisons to that of broadcast legend Edward R. Murrow, who established the standards of modern broadcast journalism during World War II. We will all join in a conversation uh, about Murrow, about his life and legacy, his influence on contemporary reporting, and as the current situation in Iraq continues to unfold, where we go from here. I'm Mike Friedman, the 2020 National Press Club President, former General Manager of CBS Radio Network, and uh, proudly Executive Producer of the Calb Report Public Broadcasting Series, which uh, calls its home the National Press Club. Our co-hosts tonight are Gil Klein and Mark Hamrick. Gil is the current president of the National Press Club Journalism Institute, chair of the History and Heritage Team, and resident director of University of Oklahoma's Washington Journalism Program. Mark Hamrick is senior economic analyst and Washington bureau chief for Bankrate.com. He chairs the broadcast podcast team at the club and was president of the National Press Club in 2011. We're also joined by Kimberly Adams, chair of the Board of Governors of the National Press Club and host and senior Washington correspondent for Marketplace. And we are all honored to welcome as our featured guest, Casey Murrow, director of Synergy Learning, a nonprofit organization based in Vermont, that specializes in science and math programs for schools and teachers. Casey is also, of course, the son of Edward R. Murrow and an honorary lifetime member of the National Press Club. Joining Casey as a special guest in our conversation tonight is our dear friend and colleague, Marvin Powell, the last correspondent personally hired by Edward R. Murrow at CBS News, the CBS News Moscow Bureau Chief and Chief Diplomatic Correspondent, anchor of Meet the Press, and a Harvard Scholar in Russian Studies, who has been closely monitoring and offering analysis on the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Kimberly Adams, um, we wanted to offer you an opportunity first to welcome our members and guests on behalf of this year's National Press Club leadership. And I will say that uh, this conversation is near and dear to Kimberly from a unique perspective, since she worked with legendary CBS News correspondent Daniel Shore, an Ed Murrow disciple, during their time together at National Public Radio. Kimberly, thank you and welcome. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you to everyone uh, for joining this event tonight and a warm welcome and greetings on behalf of the National Press Club Board of Governors, as well as our president, Jen Judson. You know, like Mike mentioned, I worked with Daniel Shore. It was a huge honor. Dan told me lots of great stories about his time at CBS, how proud he was to be one of Murrow's boys. And, you know, that made me pretty proud myself when he told me that I had a nose for news. Edward R. Murrow was known for covering conflict, witnessing 
terrible atrocities that no one should have to see, much less experience. And since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, many journalists today out in the field are also putting their lives on the line to bring us those stories and to do what reporters have always done, which is to bear witness. That is what freelance journalist Austin Tice was doing in Syria in August of 2012 when he was abducted. Austin has been held captive in Syria for 3,522 days, and the National Press Club and Austin's family urge the Syrian and American governments to bring Austin home. It's yet another example of the risks of covering conflict, which Edward R. Murrow and many journalists today can relate to. With that, I want to thank everyone once again to our members and to our guests for attending this virtual event at the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists. Mike, back to you. Thank you, Kimberly. I'd like to share an extraordinary two and a half minute video produced by former CBS News colleague and club member Sam Litzinger, who is with us tonight. I see Sam in one of the boxes, and we're going to bring it up. And. Uh, here we go. This is Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid siren. Edward R. Murrow and the reporters he hired to cover World War II, who came to be known as the Murrow Boys, although one was a woman, helped to create broadcast journalism. Now you'll hear two bursts a little nearer in a moment. The tools of their new trade were a pen or a pencil, a notepad, a typewriter, sometimes a cumbersome, usually uncooperative wire recorder, and a necessity for these radio news pioneers, a microphone. Most mics aren't all that interesting. This one is exceptional. This is London calling Columbia, New York. It's the microphone Murrow used regularly when broadcasting from BBC Studio B4, which he did often during the war, in the process, creating the template for today's broadcast news. The BBC thought he might like to take it with him when he left England to return to the States. Of course he would. It was an old friend that had bathed in Murrow's endless clouds of cigarette smoke, had heard him say, This is London. In report after report, had given him a way to tell Americans about Churchill and the Blitz and Londoners mourning their dead but somehow standing undefeated. I sat in the House of Commons this afternoon and heard Winston Churchill, Britain's tired old man of the sea, sum up the recent operations. He told of the 335,000 troops, British and French, brought back from Dunkirk. If the morning communique doesn't say that London was the main objective of German bombers tonight, I shall be surprised. They came over shortly after blackout time and opened the attack with a veritable shower of flares and incendiaries. This microphone became an extension of man. It's been in the Murrow family since 1946 and has been loaned to us by Ed's son, Casey. It's here now in public as a reminder. Murrow still matters. With luck and diligence, he always will. The best in radio reporting is yet to be. For the National Press Club, I'm Sam Litzinger. Gil, the floor is yours. Okay, uh, Casey, that was quite a recording. As you, we listened to your father's voice coming back at us from 80 years ago, what does it stir in you uh, about his legacy and your relationship with him? I had a wonderful relationship with him as parent to son, and he was remarkably cooperative 
in uh, supporting my own interests and desires, I guess, as to what it brings up for me, I guess the most dramatic part of it is simply thinking about him and thinking about him and the circumstances that uh, he found himself in at that moment. And that, of course, was not easy at all. Casey, thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, we feel very honored to have your presence and it feels particularly timely. And, and Marvin, of course, is going to talk about his own experiences uh, with your father, as well as his observations about uh, the world we live in these days. Casey, what do you see that is evocative of your father's work uh, in current reporting and particularly in conflict reporting or the war? And do you have a sense of what might be absent or what, and perhaps even to broaden it out or be more specific at the same time, what do you think his senses of that would be? So both your reflection as well as perhaps those of your father. Well, I think that most amazing, really, if we look at the <clears throat> reporting from Buka or Bucha, is the kind of reporting that he did from Buchenwald when he was talking about uh, prisoner of war camps. And of course, th the folks today are talking much more about immediate circumstances that they see on the ground. I do come to, to thinking of his Buchenwald piece as uh, an important example of um, the kind of reporting that's possible for people. What would his assessment of the current situation be? And I'm talking really about the state of journalism and perhaps even the coverage of this conflict. He would, I'm sure, wish that uh, that it could be um, even more aggressive in a, in a BBC kind of style. Honestly, Mark, I shy away from those questions because I don't I don't really know how he would have assessed the kinds of things that are going on today. Um, I'm sure he would have been fascinated with the degree to which modern communication can support reporting. And uh, that alone is, is absolutely fascinating. Where that goes in the future, none of us know, do we? My question is to Marvin. Marvin, I wonder if you could uh, offer your thoughts as you heard some of that audio coming back from from World War II and its influence on you and, and your family and perhaps all of America at that time. Thank you, Mike, uh, for the opportunity of being with, with all of you and Casey. It was an exceptionally important moment every night in the Calp household to listen tomorrow on the radio from London and even after London when he got back to New York. Murrow was very much part of our education. What we learned about the war, I don't want to say totally from our other being an exaggeration, but he influenced all of us very much. Uh, certainly my brother, Bernard, who then went into journalism himself, working at the New York Times, but he met Murrow uh, when they were both covering Burma. And that too left an enormous impression on Bernie. And with me, uh, from the first time that I met Murrow, I knew that I was in the presence of someone very special. I had learned so much from him. I would add one thing to what Casey said about Murrow's coverage of Buchenwald. 
I could be wrong about this, but what I remember was that he did not do that broadcast immediately after visiting the camp at Buchenwald. He needed a day or two to think about what it is that he had just seen, what it is that he had experienced, until one of the things he mentioned to a group of us afterward, many years later, was that it was hard for him to come up immediately with the words that would convey honestly the power, the emotional impact of what it is that he had seen. Uh, today, reporters are put <laughs> in the very difficult position of seeing comparable things, perhaps, if there is something comparable to Buchenwald, and yet find the words to explain it and describe it immediately, live. And that, to me, is a phenomenal new responsibility that reporters have today, and that we see from a lot of the reporting uh, from Ukraine. Mike, one other point about Murrow especially, and that is that I was honored to be able to have chats with him along the way and to be impressed by the impact that Germany had on him in the 1930s. He had gone there uh, not as a reporter, but as a kind of radio producer for CBS, going from one place to another to try to do concerts and art shows. And one story he told me is relevant to what is going on today. He met a German family in 1936, I believe, uh, got to know them quite well. They had, whenever Merle was in that city, um, they would have dinner together, perhaps go to a concert together, and they became rather good friends. When Morrow returned several times thereafter, that kind of good relationship continued, but it was during a period of time when Hitler's grip on Germany tightened very dramatically. When Morrow went back in 1938, he found a totally different man. His German friend was then in uniform and was echoing what it is that the Nazi leadership of Germany proclaimed to the German people and to the rest of the world. And Murrow was stunned, and one of the things he mentioned many years later was his surprise at how quickly people and nations can change in certain circumstances. That always stuck in my brain uh, whenever I'm thinking about changes in American democracy, for example, over the last several years that have been, in my judgment anyway, very dramatic changes. And so it can happen. What happened in Germany can happen here and can happen and is happening in a place like Ukraine. It's a natural follow-up, Marvin, as long as we've turned toward Ukraine and, and what's happening now. If we can get your take on the reporting from Ukraine and its impact around the world, we seem to see that social media is making a difference currently in penetrating Russia, that it, it appears to be harder for 
Vladimir Putin to keep the propaganda campaign up since um, social media and some fairly dramatic reporting from correspondents uh, at different networks here and at newspapers around the world seem to be infiltrating uh, into Russia. Your thoughts on that? Well, I would hope, Mike, that uh, much of it could get through into Russia. It's very difficult, by the way. The Russians have, the Putin regime has total control at this point, not over everything that comes into Russia, but over many things, perhaps even most things. And the Russian people get most of what they know about the world. It's an extraordinary figure, something like 92% of what they know about the rest of the world from Russian television. Russian television is totally controlled by the Putin regime. The upshot of that is that whatever the regime wants the people to know is what it is that they know. And because they don't have enough other information coming in, and many of the young people, very skilled with the use of the new technology, have already left Russia. More than 100,000 primarily young Russians have left. They have fled because they cannot tolerate living in Russia at this point. One of the um, amazing things to me is the exceptional coverage that we are all getting from Ukraine. There is some extraordinary, heart-rending coverage that we find from small villages around the capital of Kyiv and from other cities in Ukraine, Mariupol, for example, even Lvov has been hit. There, uh, and Kharkiv has been utterly demolished. And there was a couple of pieces on the news hour in the last few nights by a reporter who's right in the middle of it, not hiding from it at all. And he gives his heart and soul in conveying what it is that people are experiencing in Kharkiv today. Uh, I find that exceptional. Not the courage that is being displayed and the professionalism that is being displayed. I'm not saying every single one of them by all means, but enough of them are producing brilliant coverage that I think Murrow would look back in admiration of that kind of reporting today. And if Ed had an inspiration, which I suspect he did for many of them. We're going to call on uh, some folks who've kindly offered their questions next to Kimberly Adams. Thank you. Um, this is probably a question for Casey, but perhaps also Marvin. You know, we've talked several times this evening about just sort of the horrors of war and and, and witnessing awful things in, in conflict journalism. And part of the conversation nowadays is about the trauma and, and PTSD that may affect journalists who cover these issues. And, and Casey, I'm wondering what you saw of sort of the lasting emotional or mental health effects uh, in your dad of, of the stories that he covered and what lessons that may have for journalists in the field today or, or even the people for whom they're filing to in terms of how they relate to them. And, and Marvin, perhaps you have something to add on this as well. That's a fascinating question. And I, and I 
not sure I have a clear answer, Kimberly. Um, I think that uh, Morrow was deeply troubled by all that he saw and um, would stew about it um, extensively. And uh, however, I don't feel that impacted his, um, his work necessarily. And I don't think it impacted uh, him as a parent. Um, so that's, that's a very intriguing question. Marvin, you might have a thought on that. Uh, no, only to pick up one of your points, Casey, and that was in my experience with your father, I never noticed in his reporting and in his broadcasts that he would ever choke up on a story, would ever um, be so emotionally absorbed in it that he could not produce a really first-rate report. That is not to say, and you've also touched on this, that he was not moved by what it is that he saw. I mean, when McCarthy came along as a challenge to this country, he took it very, very seriously and had his entire unit work on two broadcasts in March of 1954 that had as much to do with undercutting the strength of Senator McCarthy as, as any other bit of reporting. Um, no, I thought Murrow was marvelous in his capacity to absorb horror, but in his presentation of information, he could do it rather coolly. Casey, uh, before we wrap up, um, I wanted to ask a, a more personal question about your relationship um, with your dad, because uh, in this 24-7 news environment, um, and for many years, those of us who have spent the lion's share of our um, uh, professional careers in newsrooms, uh, we know how long and hard uh, people work. I've always found it quite remarkable that you had such a close relationship with your dad that he actually took time off and that he spent time with family. Um, and perhaps you can, you can talk about that personal relationship uh, for a moment, because I think there's a good lesson there for every journalist today. Sure, Mike. Uh, we, went, um, we went hunting and fishing on a regular basis. Um, and um, we, would, uh, we would even fish in, uh, in our own lake, uh, which was probably a little bit silly, um, but, uh, but it was fun to do. We traveled across the country twice together and um, and really had a had a lovely time. Um, it's it's also true that um, that Ed uh, certainly struggled with issues during that time. Um, one of our trips was uh, was when I was sixteen uh, when we drove across the country, and he. Um, he made notes for President Kennedy. He actually wrote a paper for President Kennedy um, uh, on the, the mood of the people um, as he imagined it to be. Casey, as, uh, as we uh, bring the program to a close, um, we'd like to get some final thoughts from you as well as from uh, Marvin Cal um, about Ed Murrow. Uh, the last surviving member of the original Murrow Boys team of World War II was, was Richard C. Hotelet. 
who most fortunately was with us until just a few years ago. He, he passed away at age 97 in 2014. Um, uh, Dick and I did some terrific work together at CBS News, along with our friend uh, Sam Litzinger, who is uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the program with us tonight. Um, he also spoke to a number of journalism classes uh, over the years. And I always asked Dick Hotelet to share his thoughts about Murrow. He wrote them down uh, for us so that we have these beautiful words for all time. And let me share with everybody what Dick Hotelet said uh, about your dad. Even now, many years later, I think of Ed Murrow in superlatives, a skilled, tenacious reporter and a brave man, a fine human being. As a boss, Murrow laid down no rules, made no suggestions as to style or content. He demanded only a clear and, where appropriate, colorful presentation of fact. He was scrupulously fair, and his colleagues accepted his choices without complaint. He led by example not command. Murrow's usually furrowed brow expressed a pessimistic side, perhaps to guard against indulging a nationwide audience that wanted good news. Yet when he smiled, it was like a sunrise. He knew his own worth, but was not arrogant or overbearing. He had a sense of theater, as in his stress on this is London, as well as in a Churchillian sonority that often marked his speech. Murrow's physical bravery was matched by moral courage that rang out in his television documentaries. His style was serious. Long experience at the microphone did not make him casual. He saw his broadcast as a service to the American people. Casey, uh, an accurate description of your dad? Oh, I think so. Um, I think that... Uh that Dick Hodlett was was a pro at um, describing people. And, uh, and it's a pleasure to hear those words. Absolutely. Marvin, your thoughts about that beautifully eloquent piece from, from Dick Hodlett and your thoughts on Murray? Uh, Dick said it better than anyone could have. He, he said it with eloquence, honesty, Marvelous description of, of Ed Murrow. Can't be better. Those of us in broadcasting know when it's time to hit the post, you, you hit the post. Uh, so uh, our thanks to uh, Casey Murrow and also to Marvin Kalb. Gentlemen, it's been a, a, a memorable and meaningful evening. Let us give you a round of applause. Thank you very much. On behalf of uh, Mark Hamrick, Gil Klein, Kimberly Adams, uh, and all of us at, at the National Press Club. Thank you all uh, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the evening. And uh, let us close with Ed Murrow's famous words. Good night and good luck. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's Update the Number One Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.